During seminary, I worked for two years at a church in downtown D.C. that was uh, unique in many ways. It was a few blocks from the White House and full of history. The archivist told tales, for instance, of how President Taft used to snore mightily through the services. (laughs) But it also had a breakfast ministry on Sunday mornings where we fed up to 200 folks in the downtown poor and homeless community. It was much like what used to happen here at the Saturday breakfast before the pandemic. We sat down and, and ate together. We used real plates and silverware, drinking coffee and ceramic mugs that volunteer waiters would go around and top off. There was a dignity to that moment of charity, a thing we called relational justice. There were two significant differences from Christchurch. Um, one being the just unimaginable level of poverty in which nearly all the folks we served lived. A great number of guests would move from their cardboard mats on the street on, into our building when we opened it at 5.30 in the morning. The other was, was that breakfast happened on Sundays after our first service. And so most of our congregation at that early service were there waiting to eat. The later service was a more traditionally Episcopalian demographic, middle to upper class folks who lived and worked in the D.C. area, folks who looked and thought a lot like me. I fought for a place at this field ed site. First of all, I believed in the work that Jesus will always be found among the poor and the oppressed. But I also wanted to know what the gospel looked like when everything that I trusted in life, regular meals and shelter and education and middle-class manners and the basic elements of society, when all of that was stripped away, could my sermon proclaim a gospel that could reach both of those congregations? Because I believed that a gospel that couldn't was just a commodity, a product of my capitalistic privilege, not the word of the Lord. Now, uh, looking back on those sermons, I can't say I particularly succeeded uh, in my effort. The best I can say that it's nice to look back and know that you do improve in 10 years of practicing a, a craft. But my conviction still remains that much of what the world believes of God is a product of a relatively happy and secure life, a life that is promised nowhere in the gospel, but is actually called out by Jesus as a temporary state. In the Beatitudes a few weeks back, Jesus blessed the poor and the meek and the weak, To drive the point a little closer to home, he added a list of woes to the secure and the strong and the happy. Now I bring this up because for the first time in my life, the world faces an existential threat splashed across the daily news. You know, World War II, Pearl Harbor, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, the Cold War, these were all things in the history book for me. 
The wanton killing of civilians by a foreign power moving to annex a country isn't something I've ever seen played out live. So when I scrolled the New York Times to see a quote about consequences never before seen, threatened by a deranged and deadly world leader with a nuclear arsenal, dread washed over me, and I googled how fast nuclear fallout would reach a village about 50 miles from a bombed New York City. Was it just me? I do worry a lot. Abram was also wrestling with his own questions of survival in our text. He's an old man who some time back received a promise from God that he would be the father of many nations. Now this may seem like a trivial question of posterity rather than survival to us, maybe trivial to some, but remember that there was no notion of an afterlife at the time. You survived your death by having children. You lived on through them. The end of a line was an ultimate end, a tragic loss. Thus all of those stories about God's promise of children in the Old Testament, these are tales of survival. Jesus faces his own question of survival, too. The Pharisees warn him about going to Jerusalem that Herod wants to kill him. And they're right, of course. Herods have always wielded ultimate authority. They've never thought twice about brutally quashing protests Herods have always used violence in response to perceived threats to their fragile egos. Herods will always have that violence turned back against them. But not, funnily enough, by Jesus. He calls Herod a sly old fox and then calls himself, did you notice? A chicken. Yeah, that's the right reaction. <laughs> Ben's laughing. He uses the image of a mother hen. In the world of metaphor, this is not one I would choose to put up against a fox. The fox enters the pen, and I want. I don't know, a mother bear, maybe, or a guard dog, or something. How about that lion of Judah we hear so much about? I'd even take a good shepherd. But God says, I am the mother hen who would gather her children under her wings. We know the end of the story, what happens to her. You know, we are called to a difficult gospel. If we don't leave it feeling a little unnerved, we are probably not quite engaging with it. Or maybe not quite engaging with the reality of the world that most of humanity lives in. An utterly vulnerable state. And so are we, actually, when the illusions of our security and control are brought down a few notches. Can you proclaim the gospel in that state too?
maybe particularly there. I don't know if you noticed last week, or you will today, but we dropped the blessing at the end of the service during Lent in exchange for a prayer on your behalf. But today's readings and the daily news reminded me of a Franciscan blessing that seems to catch the tension of the time, and I leave it to take with you. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen.